So we're in First Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to draw your attention to verses 1 through 4. Uh, we do have it on the screen. I'll take verse 1 if you'll take verse 2, so forth through 4. And then maybe we'll collectively read 13 together. That would be great. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Verse 2. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. Beautiful. Let's read verse 13 together. Ready? Here we go. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Lord, we are so encouraged by that fact, that truth, that your word works effectively in us who believe. And so as we are here before your word this morning, it's on our lap, it's, it's opened before our eyes, it's, it's being spoken into our ear gate, and we have prayed, Lord, through our worship for you to search our hearts so that as your word will work effectively, we believe that you will have your way in each of our lives this morning, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, last time I was with you, we spoke about the hallmarks of the Thessalonian church and didn't bring to you much of a, an introduction to the book itself. I, I won't be a lengthy, it won't be a lengthy introduction this morning. But the title of this morning's message now for chapter 2 is Harvesting Spiritual Fruit from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if we remind ourselves uh, how this church came to be, we're given the account of that over in the book of Acts, chapter 17, in your leisure reading, you can read it. You know that the Apostle Paul had come to Thessalonica after leaving uh, Philippi, of course. And we know that uh, in Philippi, um, great things took place as Paul uh, preached the gospel. And yet leaving Philippi and coming to uh, Thessalonica, he reasoned for three weeks in the synagogues, for three consecutive weeks. 
And that's not a lot of time. But as he was there reasoning in the synagogues, some were persuaded to believe. Uh, but there were Jews who were, became envious, Jewish uh, spiritual leaders in Judaism, who became envious of the attention and the response that Paul was getting. And so they uh, wanted to find them. And going to one's house named Jason, uh, maybe you recall the account there in Acts chapter 17, they dragged, uh, grabbed Jason out into the marketplace and demanded to know where uh, Paul was. Uh, immediately, knowing that such a stir had occurred, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy left uh, to go on to Berea, Paul and Silas did, immediately left, and they went uh, from Berea, uh, where they again shared the gospel. We know, according to the book of Acts, that the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica. And why? Because the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul was saying, if they were really true. And uh, the same adversaries from Thessalonica followed them uh, into that same area, causing Paul to continue on to Athens while Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Um, Paul went from Athens on to 1 Corinthians where he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. And Timothy had brought report that after Paul's three short weeks there in Thessalonica, something had taken place. Something miraculous. And that's why he, he begins this second chapter with the fact that he knows that they're coming. He knows now that their coming was not in vain. We saw it there in, in verse 4. One of the first fruits from this second chapter is that his bringing the gospel to the Thessalonians was not in vain. Verse uh, 1, rather. That our coming to you was not in vain. And realistically, he summarizes that whole event that God was testing their hearts. Paul's heart. The others who had come to bring the word. And that is one of the first observations, I think, if we're going to look at the, the metaphor of harvesting fruit from this chapter, one of the first metaphors that we're going to come to is that when you go to harvest fruit, there's fruit that's easy to pick, there's fruit that's uh, harder to harvest, and there is fruit that, that can't come until it's absolutely ripe and ready. And one of the first easy pickings here is that the sharing of the gospel to those that God brings across our path is never in vain. But we may not see the evidence or the uh, consequence or the effect of that sharing until quite some time down the road. 
I mean, Paul consistently, three weeks, and then he whisked away, wondering, was my time there worth anything? Did, did God do anything at all? And, and then on to Berea, and then on to Athens, and then on to 1 Corinthians to, to finally, months later, hear from Timothy that, as we read in verse 13, they actually received the word, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And how is that to encourage you and I this morning? Very simply, that if you are engaged in sharing your faith with someone, you may not see the results right away. But it's not in vain. Because in fact, God is simply testing our heart as to whether or not this gospel that we've been entrusted with is something we will share. A little bit more to give to you about that uh, on our next point. Talk a little bit about something that happened in the trip. But you, you and I are entrusted with the, the best news ever, the greatest news that mankind can have. And to share it is simply uh, God saying, will you share it? Look, what I, look, look at who I am, what I've done. Will you share that when you have the opportunity? It's not in vain. God is simply testing our heart. He goes on in verse 5 to say, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately, notice verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Stop there. A couple of things that emerge, fruit that we would harvest here, might be a little bit harder to harvest. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Art? I mean simply that as you notice, not only did Paul bring the message of the gospel, but as he brought that message, he was ready to impart his, his life, his living, the person who he is, all that he is. The Thessalonians were relatively unknown, but they were not unloved by Paul. He was with them a very short time, but he had quickly gathered an affection for them. Only Christ can do that in the human heart. And when you and I have the opportunity to share our faith with someone, we might take note this morning that God is not simply asking us to, okay, let's impart this message and then you know, let them be whatever they do with this message, but to impart our lives also. Who is it in your life this morning? And, and as we enter this 
you know, Christmas holiday that God may be asking you to impart your life to, as well as bring that message of hope. One of the most fun things uh, being a Christian is having the opportunity to meet with someone that you don't know very well, doesn't know you very well, and be able to say to them, can I share with you what God has done in my life through Christ? That's, that's just like the, the hugest open door. You're not necessarily saying, okay, and I'm doing this so that you will believe in the risen Christ right now. I just need to, I want to share with you what Christ has done in my life. And not only to bring that message to impart our life as well. Uh, a great example, many great examples of this through uh, the years and in Christendom itself. One, of course, uh, Jim Elliott, who his call to go down and minister to the Alka Indians. When he went, he took his whole family. And uh, you've probably read the stories. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Elliott, his uh, wife, uh, bringing the account of how he circled the tribal area with a plane, dropping down a, a rope and uh, letting things on the end of that rope communicate that he, he, he cared for them. He wanted to share with them what he wanted to bring was the gospel and eventually to land that plane thinking he was safe and then he and his co-pilot were not killed. So, well, fast forward years later, of course, his wife and children were at a camp far away. And uh, you read the story later on that uh, I believe it was his wife who returned many, many years later to share with that same tribe who had killed her husband the message of Jesus Christ and in fact met the man who had speared him. And through the imparting of life, that man came to Christ. Had the privilege while we were away these last couple of weeks to meet someone who had, who had never met an evangelical pastor. And for someone to sit in front of you and say, well, how would you feel if someone sat in front of you and said, you're the first Christian I've ever met? Oh, my goodness. Well, I better have my shoes on correctly and uh, know what I'm supposed to say, right? Well, he said, you're the first pastor I've ever met. And the sweet opportunity to not only break bread with uh, he and his wife, spend time with them. And our hope is that not only was there a message, but we were able to impart our lives as well. Who is it that God may be asking you this holiday to impart your life to. In verse 9, Paul goes on to say, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. And so we see here that the Apostle Paul was willing to um, get up work served so that he could provide for himself and not be a burden to those in the, the community of Thessalonica, but do that early enough so that throughout the latter part of the day he would have the opportunity to share the gospel with whoever 
God would bring across his path as well as looking forward to each Sabbath, those three consecutive Sabbaths that he went into the synagogue and shares. But he, he just didn't, you know, uh, take the attitude that, well, I'm here to share the gospel, I won't work. No, he labored and toiled, um, he and Silas, with him. And God is their witness, verse 10, and God also as a witness, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So as Paul would share, and we're told in the book of Acts that, that some were pers persuaded to believe, that he would take that first declaration of, of the gospel message to the next level by exhortation, comfort, and as it says there, a charge, which, which is in fact the, the process of discipling. So he would take those, those first who would believe and he would begin to exhort them. He would begin to comfort them about how this decision in their life is going to affect them and the things that were going on around them, the persecution that already was starting. And he also would take opportunity to give them a charge. That's discipleship. Someone comes to faith in Christ uh, one of the most tragic things that can happen is that they're just left alone to try and muddle through now that they've made a profession of faith. It's so valuable and important to anyone that, that comes to faith in Christ to come alongside them. In fact, both uh, the words exhort and comfort begin with that phrase para, to come alongside. To exhort means to urge uh, on to pursue a certain conduct. To comfort, para, again, the beginning of the word, the idea of coming alongside. To charge is similar to the giving of a command. And so the Apostle Paul would take those, those early uh, believers and he would exhort them, comfort them, and charge them to walk in a certain way. Walk worthy of God. Have you been charged lately? Have you been comforted lately? Have you been exhorted lately to walk worthy of God? Is life just kind of going on autopilot? Or is God beginning to dig deeper into the heart? Those of you maybe watching at home, you're still vacillating about whether or not you know, stepping out and coming to uh, open fellowship. There's a dynamic as we gather that can take place in no other way. As thankful as we are for the, the ministry of uh, being able to broadcast into homes someone who is ill or unable to get out and be able to teach the Word of God and bring the Word of God into a home, grateful. But for those that, that have taken the the 
position. Well, now I can just stay in my pajamas and go to church. There's a dynamic that can't happen any other way than getting together with believers. And how important it is that we find those who've come to faith and come alongside them to exhort them, to comfort them, to charge them, to walk worthy of God, who calls you, as Paul put it, calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What is it that God is calling you to do today? What is it that God is calling you to be today? How is it that maybe God is calling you to serve today? What is it that God is maybe asking you to be a sacrifice in some way today? How is it that maybe God is calling you to involve yourself today? You see, there's a call upon every one of our lives. It's not just, you know, his call upon my life to be a a pastor and a teacher. That this call is the result of, of responding to various calls prior. I was so blessed to hear one of my grandsons yesterday. We um, celebrated our West Coast family Thanksgiving yesterday at home. And though we flew in on Friday, uh, Saturday we opened up the house, cooked a turkey and everything. So we had uh, the opportunity to have one of our grandsons uh, up from Southern California. And I was sharing with him uh, about our trip. And he began to share with me that he's starting to uh, work with children in the church that he's been going to. And what an honor it is to see yourself have an impact on someone that, that maybe, just maybe, the call that God's put on your life to just be who you are to your children, to your family, to your loved ones, begins to have an impact further, further, further down the road where where someone that has crossed your life path in an intimate way begins to take up the mantle and want to walk with the Lord, to serve the Lord. What is it that God is calling you to? I think that's the question each one of us should, should be asking and that we should have a clear answer. God has called me to be the the best mom, the best wife, the best housemaker, homekeeper, uh, the best employee, the best employer. I mean, clearly know that, to be able to say it with a, a confidence. Because there is a call of God upon each believer's life, calling you into his own kingdom and glory in specific ways. And because they understood that, as we read in verse 13, Paul was amazed that, you know, there he is in in Corinth, and Timothy brings word, guess what, Paul? The three weeks that you were there and you saw a few of them come, he said, you're going to be blown away that they actually took what you were saying not as a word from men, 
but as it is in truth, the word of God. All right, no, uh, you know, brand new revelation here. Perhaps every one of us this morning, within the sound of my voice, is saying, well, yeah, I know, I know that this is the word of God. So the keys here would be then, do you receive it as it is, in truth, the word of God? Do you receive it that way? Because therein is uh, this fruit that will only be harvested ripe when it's ready. We cannot say that Christ is Lord and yet pick and choose from his word what we will choose to receive. I remember stumbling upon a verse years ago about the Word of God that that changed my perspective of its impact. And I don't know each one of you this morning where you may sit necessarily with your affection or attraction to Bible reading or verse memorization or you know, staying in tune with what's going on in Scripture. But when I stumbled upon this verse years ago, I was like, oh, my. You know what God says in Psalm 138, verse 2? You can take that note and you can read it later. But he says that God, God has magnified his word even above all his name. Now think about that. The name or names, plural, of God. The na- Can you think of some names of God? He is salvation. God is salvation. God is restorer. God is a high tower. God is merciful. God is gracious. Those are characteristics, but the names of God. God says in Psalm 138, verse 2, that he magnifies his word even above his name. Jesus saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word. I thought, well, I thought, you know, the name of God, ever important, always important. We sing about the name of God. But God says as it relates to the importance of his spoken, written, and living word, that he's magnified that even above his name. Oh, Christian, how imperative it is that this living word take root in your heart. And that you and I would receive it, not as, oh, that's a verse, not as a word of it, but as it is in truth, God speaking. The word of God. Because two parts to that truth is that his word works effectively, Paul says, in those who believe Right? So 
If you break that down, break it down with me, is he talking about those who just believe in Christ? The word of God works effectively in those who believe in Christ. We would have to say, yes, amen, that's true. But if we were to take that, maybe uh, the, the fruit being ripe when it's ready, is he also a step deeper in saying, in those who believe it to be as it is in truth, the word of God, who would come to this word with the, the seeking heart, the open mind, the submissive soul to say, Lord, whatever you want to speak into my life, whatever you want to do, however you want to guide me, God, I now am before you listening. Is that how we come to this, the word of God, to receive from it? as it is in truth. And we have a promise, of course, in Isaiah 55, that God's word, as it comes down to the human ear, like the rain that comes down and replenishes the earth, that the word of God will always accomplish what it is sent out to do. But as it relates to working effectively in those who believe, there's a dependence upon how we come to it. Paul says in verse 14, For you know, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. There was a, a consequence to those that were seeking to restrict and hold back the tide of the preaching of the gospel in that day. And Paul was aware of that. And he gives the contrast in verse 17. He says, but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And immediately another piece of fruit uh, emerges from this chapter about the reality of our adversary. Uh, there is a devil. There is an adversary of God. Scripture bears it out to be so. And if that same adversary can hinder someone with as much passion and clear call and dedication to the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that adversary can hinder someone like Paul, that adversary can hinder you and I. And that we should never take uh, the adversary's attempts and his work to to hinder 
the further momentum of, of us sharing the gospel lightly. He's a liar. He is the father of lies. He will whisper lies to you and me all day long about your, your effectiveness uh, as a Christian, your, uh, your right position before the throne of God. I'll never forget it. Years ago, as I freshly rededicated my life to Christ early in 1980. And uh, by uh, 83, the beginning of, of a 13-year meat-cutting career, and so I'm like three years old in the Lord, and you know, I'm just loving every dotted I and cross T in this thing. It's like there's so much to learn from Genesis to Revelation. I'm trying to get it all in here so that I can grow, you know. And uh, and yet I'm this uh, apprentice meat cutter. And one of the first places I was thrown into as an apprentice meat cutter and freshly rededicated Christian to Christ was uh, there was this store where Target is in, in Stockton right now. It was called, oh, forget what it was called. I'm getting old. Uh, it, it was a subsidiary of Lucky's. And so it was, oh boy, I'm going to remember it after. And so I would work in this meat department there. I don't know if any of you remember the story and hollered out, but... Um, it was busy. I mean, center of Stockton, right? I mean, you have the first and the fifteenth were like mega weeks because the the um, Social Security checks and welfare checks would come in. Tremendous amount of people would come in and buy. And that particular department that I was in had uh, three other meat cutters. One of which was uh, a real questionable guy. Put it lightly. I'm pretty sure drugs and alcohol were involved. Pretty sure. Um, and the three of them, the meat department head and the other two, were all kind of in cahoots. And, and my, my meat supervisor placed me there because they needed another guy. And so in walks Greenhorn Christian into the lion's den, man. And, uh, but, you know, you're going, okay, Lord, you're going to use me here, right? And, and uh, we're talking about our adversary. And he works through people. He, the adversary of God works through people and through circumstances in our life. But occasionally, he, he works through someone specifically where you're going, man, that guy is, is the devil's tool. And this one particular guy, he was like that in my life. I mean, I would go in and I would share things about Jesus. I would share the word. But they would say, all right, well, let's, they would give me the night shift. And they would leave a list of things to do that was a mile long. And there was no way I could finish that list with a ton of people working the meat counter. And yet when I would come in the next day at noon to work the night shift, I'd get torn upside down one side the other because I didn't finish the list. But they knew if they gave me a list longer than I could accomplish that they could rip me the next day when I came in. How's that? You, you're saying, 
Are, didn't you know that's how sometimes people work? Like, no, I didn't get that. I was, it took me a long time to figure that out. And, and so here Joe Christian would come in, and this one guy, I mean, I remember his, his laugh and his mannerisms were like from another world. He had big hair, and he would go, I better turn this down a little bit. He would go, <laughs> You think you're a Christian? Who would show you? All right, so I'm animated and sharing that with you because isn't that how our adversary works at times? He doesn't have to be physical and big and long hair in you in a meat department, but he can whisper, you think you're a Christian? Well, let me hinder you. Let me stop you. Let me tie your hands. Oh, don't share it. You can't share. And Paul says, I wanted to come see you face to face, but Satan hindered us. If it's true for him, it can be true for you and I. All the more reason to have the promise of the eternal inerrant word of God to stand on. Isaiah 54, 17, what does it say? No weapon formed against you will prosper. Say that with me. No weapon formed against you will prosper. That's a promise of God. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So though Paul was hindered, he wasn't actually stopped because he still got his message to the Thessalonican church. And though at times we may be hindered, it's not as though we are stopped because Satan cannot come up with a weapon that will prosper against Christ in us. The world cannot diffuse the fact that Christ in us is greater than the world that comes against us. And so I close this morning with this last piece of fruit that Paul gives to us as he says in verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, our, or crown of rejoicing? What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. The assurance that Christ was coming again. The assurance we have this morning that he is coming again. And though we will celebrate his birth this month, what an even greater opportunity to celebrate his return is even at the door. So whether or not we are faced with sharing our, the gospel message, both the message and our lives, remember it's not in vain. God's simply testing our hearts that there is a call upon each of our lives. But how are we receiving the word? 
Are we allowing it to work effectively in us, though our adversary would seek to hinder that work, want to squelch it, want to reduce it? Are we standing on the promise that he can't form a weapon that will prosper against us and Jesus in us is greater than anything he could bring and we know he's coming again? Hallelujah. Can't wait. But while we'll wait, we'll occupy. And while we occupy, we will fight on our knees with his word and in the power of the spirit. Will you join me as we pray? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you for allowing your servant Paul to relate these things to each and every reader that would open scripture and come to find out that these things are true. They are eternal. At times, Lord, we may believe that some of what we are doing and sharing is not having an effect on others, but you've just shown us that it's not in vain. Gently testing our heart. We long for you to come. Lord, you've promised you are coming. As we celebrate this month, that you've come once, may our minds also be on the fact that you're coming again. May we receive your word. May we find it working effectually in us because we believe. So to that end, we pray and trust you to have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name.